the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. Um, I am uh, rejoined now um, on the phone with uh, uh, my my favorite Oakland County activist, uh, Pam Gerald, is, is with me by phone, and uh, she was with me earlier this morning uh, when we talked with uh, Chief... Alvin Barron, uh, the police chief in uh, Southfield, and we had a chance to um, at, at least acknowledge a little bit and, and recognize that this week marks the uh, one-year anniversary of the uh, killing of George Floyd. Pam, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. And thanks. And you for know all the good stuff that you say. My head is so big, I can't even get out the room. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about to get bigger because I'm going to okay. thank you again for introducing me to our next guest, and uh, Pam is joining me for this. And this uh, uh, this uh, next uh, segment is is sort of courtesy of Pam Gerald. Um, joining me is uh, Detroit uh, Police Detective Brian Fountain. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, and thank you for having me. Good morning, Detective. Good morning. How are you, Miss Gerald? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Brian, I mentioned that we uh, we talked about uh, earlier this morning with uh, Chief Barron from Southfield uh, a little bit about acknowledging this one-year anniversary since the George Floyd killing. Um, how long have you been in law enforcement? I've been in law enforcement uh, 35 years. 
Wow, you, you don't sound old enough to have been in it that oh, long. Appreciate that. And uh, Tom, he doesn't look old enough to be in law enforcement for 35 years. <laughs> Thank but, you. But, but let me ask you this. Um, because people are calling for changes in law enforcement um, under the banner of defund the police, and that means something different to everybody who hears it, um, how has police training and, and law enforcement implementation changed in the 35 years that you've been in the business? Well, you're seeing more and more community-based training. Uh, that's the biggest thing that we do here in Detroit. Uh, we do a lot of uh, community-based training. That's, that's the biggest thing that we, that we emphasize here. We have seen... Um, this this uh, it I, I can't tell if it's an increase in the number of times that it happens or if it's just that the media is so much more aware of it and focusing on it this idea of of people often unarmed dying at the hands of police officers primarily young black men Brian absolutely and but we and, and we've seen it in cities all over the country. Why do you think we've been fortunate enough not to see it in, in Detroit or Southfield or Flint or some of these other mid-Michigan uh, communities? Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Uh, the first crime prevention unit in America was started in Detroit back in 1972. Mm -hmm. And it... it evolved into an award-winning unit and they emphasize uh, a grassroots movement for the police officers to actually get out into the communities walk beats uh, make contact with the community groups uh, and when chief craig got here he emphasized starting up the uh, neighborhood uh, police officer and these officers were assigned geographical areas and their responsibility was to handle any problem that came up in that particular neighborhood. And as an instructor at the police academy, I tell these young officers, I don't care where you're from, when you walk into a gas station in that uniform and you see some people hanging out and whatnot, speak to them. I said, don't, don't you ever walk into a gas station, you see some people in there and you don't speak to them. Uh, get out of the scout car and talk to the business people. Talk to the young people. Because young people don't have people you know, the, the adults don't talk to young people. They, they shun them. I, I have my bus drivers in Detroit giving candy to these uh, young guys when they get on the bus. And, and those bus drivers don't have any problems because those young guys look up to that bus driver and say, that's one adult who's talking to us. I don't know, Brian. It, that sounds a, a little scary driving around in a bus giving candy to kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it worked. it worked. No, I know what you mean. And that's that's what we miss about the old-fashioned uh, deployment of, of police personnel, the idea that there was a beat cop or a cop on every corner, Officer absolutely. Dibble <laughs> from the... Yes, absolutely. You know, because... Cause you you get to know you get to know uh, who the who the troublemakers are, but you also get to know uh, the people that uh, that might have a specific problem. Uh, so getting out and interacting with the community is very important in law enforcement. And in Detroit, that's what we do. 
And, you know, uh, Detective uh, Brian, when you talked about this example of going into the gas station or going into the store and speaking to the young people, I think that I, I like that approach because it says that the police are not just approaching or coming to the store, the gas station, and the scene to police. It's called, bu- it's called building the community trust. Absolutely. You, you have to do that. Uh, we, we saw back in the day a couple of delivery drivers getting robbed. We'd, we'd follow them around, and they would put their product on the cart, put their heads down and walk in and wouldn't even speak to people. Mm. And we retrained them. We we said, speak to people in the neighborhood. If a guy wants a can of Pepsi, you know, give him a can of Pepsi or some Frito-Lays and whatnot. And guess what? The robbery rate went straight down because right. they got to know these guys hanging around the store. Oh, that's that's little Bob right there. That's Al. You know, and they said, oh, that's the, the guy. He's cool. He's cool. And see, Detective Bryan, in, in doing that, it allows the police officers to to establish, again, that relationship, but it can also provide you with what I call community intel when you well, need you have, it. You have to have that. You, you have to be able to, to know who, uh, who the troublemakers are. When I first started in 1985 uh, in the 4th Precinct, uh, and down there, that, you know, from time to time we would have a gang flare-up, I was amazed that when, when they would mention who a shooter was, do you know those officers would go go straight to the shooter's mama's house? Hmm. And, and I mean, they knew the shooter's mama. I mean, that that's how closely related the officers were to the people in the community, even the troublemakers, to know who the troublemaker uh, was and then go to that troublemaker's mama's house. Now, that's policing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, how important is it for police officers to look like the people they're policing? I think it's very important. Um, one of the things that I that I look at is I look at the the the, the, the minority population in a community, and I I've always said this that the the police department should be a reflection of of the population that they serve, uh, because uh, you know in in Detroit we have a large Hispanic population in Southwest Detroit, and fortunately we've had a lot of uh, Hispanic applicants coming to the department and we send a, a lot of them down to southwest detroit uh and it just makes perfect sense because they can speak the language they know the culture down there uh my first seven years on the job was in southwest detroit and uh, there was somewhat of a culture shock but you know what i acclimated myself to uh, i knew what menudo was you know i, just <laughs> hang out with, I didn't know what and it Brian, was at first but i yes it, it doesn't matter, you know, how you feel about different cultures and all that, but everybody loves Mexican food. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, partner. Detective Bryant, you make a very good point because when we talk about implicit bias, we have to address what you just said, the cultural aspect of the area that you police. And, you know, these young kids, they, the, the young African-American kids and the Latino kids, you know, yeah. they like to say, hey, yo, when you get pulled over by a police officer and the first thing that the young driver of color says, yo, dog, why did you stop me? A police right. officer that doesn't understand the cultural aspect and the language would be insulted. So now you're calling me the authoritative police a dog when it's a, a figure of speech and saying, hey, yo, dog, why did you stop me? How important is that? 
That's that's very important. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned implicit bias because that's a mandatory training uh, here in Detroit. Every officer who comes through the De- uh, Detroit Training Center, Police Training Center, they have to get that training. So I'm I am so happy that you mentioned that. But yeah, it is important that uh, you educate these officers. But we also go into the schools. Uh, I teach a class called What to Do If Stopped by the Police. And one of the things I teach these young people is uh, comply now, complain later. And they, they get it. I said comply now, but if you see that officer doing anything wrong, complain later. So that's what I teach. In, in a lot of the, the cases that we've seen where young black men have been shot and killed uh, resulting from a traffic stop that... that could easily have been handled a different way it's very often white officers what what can be done you train officers can you train white guys to go into black neighborhoods and get to know people and fit in and understand the culture and the lingo so that they're not getting caught up as a result of the kind of thing that Pam just described uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of, one of the things is you have to look at the culture of, of you know different departments have different cultures, and that's why I was start talking telling Miss Gerald earlier. Uh, the department has to be a reflection of the population that it serves, and if you have uh, a city where the, the population might be twenty percent black, but the department is 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 ninety nine percent white. You're going to have problems like that. So you got to, you got to, it, it starts with hiring and then it, it goes into training. Uh, and then you mm-hmm. got to, you know, like here in Detroit, we have this, uh, this thing that uh, if you see your partner doing something wrong and you don't stop your partner, uh, mm-hmm. you, you can be fired. And that's, that's the big thing sweeping uh, uh, law enforcement agencies around the country as part of uh, police ref- reform is that you are going to hold, not only yourself accountable, but your partner for everything that they do. Duty to intervene. There you go. There you go. And and we've seen, uh, unfortunately, the George Floyd case um, had some elements of this where there were younger officers who were reluctant to, you know, check the the more superior uh, officers. Yeah, that, that they were they were like a rock between a, a hard place, but from a moralistic standpoint, they should have intervened. Hmm. Well, it's easy to look back and say that now, you right. know, after the fact. But but there is a certain hierarchy that happens in any organization, yes. not just oh, law enforcement. And you you get the younger guys are looking to the the older guys and you know following their lead. And, absolutely, and absolutely, can, absolutely. Can can you can you fix that at the training level, Brian? You can you can you can absolutely fix it at the training level. Uh, you pound it in their head from day one. Uh, hey, Brian. Right, so, Brian. I'm wrong. Brian. I'm sorry to interrupt you, and I want to talk about that some more. But I have to take a break here. Can you stick okay. around for a few minutes so we can talk oh. some more? Absolutely. Okay, it's a real honor and a privilege to have you here, Detective, and, yep. and uh, we'll talk some more with uh, uh, Detroit Police Department Detective uh, Brian Fountain, and I also have joining me by phone my favorite uh, Oakland County activist, um, 
Pam Gerald, and uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. Hello, we'll be right back. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, 
Dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, we continue my conversation. I'm joined by uh, Pam Gerald, Oakland activist and, and uh, uh, a uh, co-producer of today's uh, program and, and this uh, segment this hour with uh, Detroit Detective Brian Fountain, who joins us by phone. And welcome back to both of you, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Thank you, Tom. Oh, no, no problem. Commercials uh, are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Brian, just before we went to break, uh, you were talking about um, the idea of, of addressing uh, concerns that, that we've come to learn about because of the George Floyd incident with younger police officers um, being reluctant to question the action of more senior officers and and how you can deal with that and and address that because uh r- rookies don't always get hurt mm-hmm. yeah it's, everything's <laughs> gonna I'm, I'm gonna tell you something if there's any type of, of incident it's gonna it's gonna always be the question of training uh that's always gonna come up so again it starts when they enter the academy you have to start uh, ingraining uh, this ideology of how to treat people. Uh, we start by taking them to museums. We take them to the Arab American Museum. We take them to the Holocaust Museum. Mm-hmm. We take them to the African American Museum. Uh, I don't know of any other police departments that will do that, but we do, because we want them to be familiarized with other cultures. Um, what I do like about officers that we're getting in white black hispanic arabic and uh asian uh millennials don't see colors the the way maybe our parents and grandparents did they're they're more uh intertwined with each other so that's that's a good thing from the standpoint of policing but then when you get out into the neighborhoods is is that true as well are this are there the same sort of age uh Difference uh, differences in the way people behave based on age. Oh, oh yes, especially in the African American community. You know, when your grandfathers and fathers mm-hmm. uh, witness racism from the police department. Uh, you know, a lot of people w- w- want to say that the 1967 riot was a race riot. It was not a race riot. It was a a a, 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 a situation where the black community was being pretty much oppressed by the police department, right. uh, and they were just tired. You know, Detective Brian, um, we talk about community policing and establishing the relationship between the public and the law enforcement. And one of the issues that a lot of my Detroit friends have with the Detroit Police Department is the fact that they hear that 54 officers were deemed unworthy to testify in court. Do you think having such a classification and a large number of Detroit police that are not able to go and testify in court due to fabrication and other types of lies, 
does it hinder the relationship aspect that they need to build with the residents for confidence? Oh, How important is it? That's, that's very important to have that, that type of relationship with the public. Uh, the term is called Giglio, and I taught a court testimony class yesterday. Uh, it's funny that you should mention that. And one of the things that we talk about is when you get on that witness stand, uh, if you don't know the answer, simply say, I don't know. Yes. Uh, don't make something up. And I, I also told them, no matter how hard it hurts, tell the truth. Juries like to hear a person say, hey, I made a mistake, uh, you know, tell the truth, because it, it's going to come back to haunt you. And, you know, there are cameras everywhere. Uh, even officers wear body cameras. So uh, tell the truth, no matter how much it hurts, uh, because once you've been giglioed, uh, really you can't testify uh, anymore. When you get to court, they're going to give the jury instructions that this officer has lied before under oath. And, uh don't believe pretty much anything that he said. But what about the blue code of silence, though? Well, let me let me. But let me is put there it like such this. a thing? Let, let, well, there is a blue blue code of silence, but that 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 wall is slowly slowly, or I should say, quickly eroding. Because if I'm out on patrol and I haven't worked patrol in years, and I see an officer do something wrong, guess what? I'm telling because I'm <laughs> not losing my pension or going to jail <laughs> for some other. And these these young officers. Here in Detroit, they feel the same way. Uh, they're not going to risk their their uh, lo- their lives, uh, their freedom, and uh, their livelihood because some knucklehead wants to, uh, you know, abuse public or, or uh, abuse somebody's civil rights. Because w- when I get a class, the first thing I ask them is, what is the number one job of a police officer? I get all kind of answers uh, to protect and serve, uh, to uphold the law. Uh, to keep the peace, and then I tell them, I said, listen, the number one job of a police officer is to protect people's constitutional rights. Mm-hmm. Now, all those other things you said are, are correct, but listen to me, young student police officer, your number one job is to protect people's constitutional rights. And and then you can go forward with protecting, serving, and enforcing the law. Well, mm-hmm. and those are the ways uh, in a perfect world, Brian, that police officers would protect people's rights is, is by doing those things and doing them well. Brian, I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the hour when uh, we first started talking sort of parenthetically the, the banner that we've seen flying, especially this past summer, uh, defund the police. And, and I said uh, when I mentioned it that... Uh, Everybody hears something different when they hear that phrase. What do you hear? What does it mean to you when you hear people talk about defund the police? Well, I'm thinking about it, and I said to myself, if you defund the police and you call 911, are they going to come? Are there going to be enough policemen? So to me, to to, to say defund the police, uh, especially all of these, uh, departments around the country that have not done anything wrong, you know, uh, you're punishing uh, most of these departments for something that maybe one or two departments have, have done. You know, some of these departments that have uh, numerous violations. Uh, I think uh, in that George Floyd case, the officer that had his uh, uh, knee on his neck, I think he had 18 citizen complaints. 
Mm-hmm. That would never that would never happen here in Detroit. Eighteen citizen complaints. So, uh, you know, there, there was an article that I read in Security Management Magazine. It was entitled "We Hire Our Own Problems," mm. and that's that's one of the things that you have to do is you have to do a good background check on on people when you hire them to make sure that they don't have a history of violence, a history of uh, uh, accusations of uh, wrongdoing in their past. And I'm not talking about uh, from the standpoint of a criminal history, because, of course, you know, if you got a felony, you, you, you're not going to get hired. But there are other things that you can ask former employees about this person. Uh, have they have complaints about sexual harassment? You know, uh, any complaints about them being aggressive towards someone? You know, just things like that. There are a number of ideas that are being floated as uh, lawmakers in Washington try and grapple with, uh, you know, the the possibility of some police reforms. And um, one of those uh, is a registry for police officers with a history of uh, citizens' complaints or or violence, um, abuse of of power and so on are are you in favor of a registry like that brian i definitely don't have a problem with that uh here in michigan they enacted a law i think it might have been a year ago um that says that if you are fired by a department here in michigan you cannot get hired by another department now you have to get fired for something you know where you abuse a citizen or something like that uh And it becomes... It can't uh, just be budget cuts. Absolutely. <laughs> right. It can't just be budget cuts. And, and you know, other departments would, would hire them because, you know, to be honest, in this political environment that we're experiencing now in this country, it's hard to get people to want to join the police department. You know, in the average year, uh, we hire a little over 10,000 officers a year around the United States, new officers. And I think uh, last year... They were only able to hire 3,000. So, folks, we could be in trouble. Because you know, they just because, didn't have the applicants, right? Well, yeah, but why? You know, because the people, you know, the police officers have this bad reputation right now, you know. Uh, but it's an ebb and flow. It's an ebb and flow. Hopefully within a year people are saying, you know, hey, I want to I join the police department. Um, because it's, a, it's absolutely a good career. I've been on this job 35 years. Tom, I've never called in sick. Great job. But, Detective Bryant, you're, you're talking about um, the, being a police officer, becoming a police officer, but we were just talking about Derek Chauvin. How does a police officer stay on the force with as many behavioral discipline or disciplinary charges on his employment file? How does he keep the job? And is it a management chief of police problem? Or is it, again, the blue coat of silence? Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with the blue coat of silence. I think that's a department thing. You know, different departments uh, are run different ways. Like one, one, one person may not be good enough to be hired here in Detroit, but another city in Michigan might say, hey, we'll take them. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a departmental thing. Some departments and, will take certain people, others others. Others won't. But again, someone like that would have probably been sitting behind a desk job uh, mm. with that many complaints. Now, now keep in mind, traffic officers get more complaints than anybody. But there's a reason. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody nobody <laughs> likes to see that red light in their rearview right. mirror, right. Brian. So traffic officers get a, l- <laughs> a little more leeway because they come in. That's their job. Their job is to enforce traffic laws. So they're going to stop, you know, 20, 30, 40 cars a day. And, Tom, Pam, I'm going to tell you something. If you guys stop that many, they're going to complain. They're yeah. Gonna, you know, he wrote me a ticket. When, when I was on patrol, let me tell you what I learned. I learned from the older officers. We did not write elderly people tickets, and we did not write poor people tickets. That was just part of the policing, community policing ethic that I was taught here right. in Detroit. Is that right. because they're more apt to complain? Well, no. Why, <laughs> no. Why, why, why would you write a poor person a ticket? I mean, right. You know, this man is trying to feed his family. He's got four kids, and you just wrote him $200 worth of tickets. And, now, and now, now. probably because of something he couldn't afford, like not having Absolutely. insurance or yeah. having right. expired plates because he didn't you have know. the money. And then you're going to tack him on more money? You know, the, the thing that makes is, sense, Brian. You, right. Mm-hmm. Writing a ticket is optional. You can stop and advise, but you don't have to write a ticket. You can advise them and say, hey, get it fixed and whatnot. But, but you know, you write somebody a two, two $300 ticket, you know, he doesn't have the money. Uh, he may not show up in court. Now he's got a warrant out for his arrest. Then he gets stopped by some department, uh, and they're going to lock him up, and now he can't go to work, and the family suffers. So it's like a vicious cycle, you know. You know, you um, said something a minute ago, Brian, that that I wanted to go back and pick up on about how there might be a, a candidate, um, someone who wants to become a police officer, yeah. that might not be a good fit for Detroit, but might be a fine fit for somewhere else. Um, and and that's and, and that also echoes something else you said about hiring the right person in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And there can be people that are better suited to the the diversity and the the different cultural acumens that they have to acquire to work in a big city like Detroit. Um, yes. And and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad person or even a bad police officer. They're just not a good fit in that community. But they might be fine in Traverse City or some little town in the UP um, because they're, they're basically a good guy and they want to serve and they want to protect people's rights. But they're just maybe not personality-wise suited to fit in because mm-hmm. uh, I know people who fit in everywhere. Oh, absolutely. And then I know uh, people who sh- shouldn't go a lot of places. Shouldn't go a lot of places. Right. <laughs> you know, I think, I think our right. name chief should have three things going for him or her. They should be technical. Now, what mm-hmm. I mean by that is crime is moving online. you got credit card fraud going on. Uh, the criminals already have your Social Security number, and I'm, I'm hate, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but they already have your Social Security number. It's just a matter of time. They might not ever use it. But they got it, okay? So we got to have crime fighters that can go online and deal with the, the cyber criminals. Uh, Chief Craig, uh, very technical. He started the uh, cyber crime unit here in Detroit, the real-time crime center, Operation Greenlight, and all that good stuff. The next thing that you want out of a chief is, okay, we mentioned he has to be technical. He, he also needs to be tactical, uh, you know, dealing with uh, – demonstrators and stuff knowing knowing when to back off and and not being too aggressive when you're dealing with people that are uh uh just out there doing doing 
you, you know, their constitutional right, right to protest. Right, right. There, there you go. And so that's number two. And number three, <clears throat> he had to be community oriented. Chief Craig was all three of those. He was technical, tactical, and community oriented. So to, to, to police in Detroit, you have to be those three. To me, this is just my opinion. Now, Tom, I met uh, Detective Bryan when uh, Chief Elvin Barron invited him to come and speak to the Southfield Police Advisory Board, and he did a wonderful presentation on active shooters. Now, with all of the, the fake lies about the election being stolen, we seem to have had an uptick in the amount of killings with active shooters and recently in San Juan. So he did this presentation to talk about what you should do if you're out in public and you encounter an active shooter. Detective Bryan, can you share with Tom and with me what you would advise for people to do when they are in public and they encounter an active shooter? Absolutely. Uh the first thing I'm going to do if I'm going to a location, whether I'm going to the movie theater, the mall, uh, you know, the, the parties are starting back up. The birthday parties, the uh, mm-hmm. baby showers, uh, they're going to start having the dinner dances again, the, 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 you know, just where people congregate. The first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to look for exits. Mm-hmm. How many ways can I get out of this place? Because uh, uh, Miss Miss Evelyn, I don't know if you showed the video where the people were in the uh, nightclub and they caught on fire. Mm. Uh, and and uh, hundred over yes, we did see that. that. Yeah, I remember yes. that. So so the exits, you know, I, I want to look for exits. If I'm in a location and the shooting has already started and I'm in a room, if and and generally it's not going to sound like gunshots. The number one answer that I get is it sounded like a popping sound. Yeah, a pop. Sound. I've heard that. So I'm going to, you know, open the door, look down the hallway. If it's clear and the popping sound is around the corner to the to the right, I'm running to the left. But as I'm mm-hmm. running, I'm looking back over my shoulder because as you're running toward that exit, he could have stepped, the active shooter could have stepped into your hallway. He just might have been around the corner handling his business. So I'm going to run for the door, and I'm going to, as I'm running, I'm going to look back over my shoulder to see if this guy has stepped into my hallway. So that's the first thing I'm going to do is is try to get out of that 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 uh, location. Mm-hmm. You know, on a on a uh, tangential note, um, how do you train police officers? Um, you were talking about most complaints come from traffic stops, and and a lot of times I th- I think. Um, police officers in the process of of trying to exude authority will very often make people who've committed pretty minor infractions feel like criminals how do you get police officers to handle an enforcement issue without making people feel like they're being treated like criminals and the flip side is how do you get the people that are being stopped to not act like criminals. Mm. Well, it, it, <laughs> that, that's, that, Tom, that's again, a great question. We have a class for both. We uh, we have traffic uh, classes upstairs where we we uh, you know do reenactments of traffic stops with the officers, uh, and a lot of the officers if they see kids in the car. Sometimes they'll just say something to the driver and turn around and walk away, uh, which I think is is great. 
as far as what to do if, if you're stopped, again, we go into the high schools and we teach a class called What to Do If Stopped by the Police. And I tell those kids, uh, you know, put that cell phone down. You know, you can, you can call 911 and keep the line open or you can hit record on that cell phone, but put it down. Because as that officer is approaching that car, you know, when we stop a car, we, we're just as nervous as the passengers are because we got all these cars now with tinted windows. Right. Right. And I don't know if it's a shotgun pointed at me with that window up. You know, I don't know what's going on. So, Brian, you, know, you, couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough money to make that walk. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I, I'm serious, you know, Brian. Yeah, you, and you're it. I, I feel you. You know, you're in a high crime area. You just pulled over a car. You know it's several, you know, people in the car, and they got their windows rolled up. You don't know if they're pointing guns at you or not. So you want to give them, you know, orders or, or commands, hey, roll the window down so we can see everybody in the car because at that point we're nervous, you know. Brian, um, the... Uh, the issue of oh, I know what it was. I was going to ask you: has um, has social media become a detective's best friend? Mm. Well, it's a it's a good tool. <laughs> uh, it's a it's an excellent tool uh, for law enforcement. Again, uh, you know the criminals have moved online with a lot of stuff that they do, and and uh, I've seen some do some pretty dumb things online. Oh, absolutely. You know, if if I want to, I want to buy some drugs or some some illegal stuff i'm probably going to try to get down to the dark web but we monitor the dark web places where people go to buy this illegal stuff and a lot of people think uh that it's untraceable but i always tell people i said look stay off the dark web because uh that can get you into a lot of trouble from a standpoint of uh you know you you catching the case and going to jail because you got uh receiving and concealing some stuff that may have been stolen and everything can be traced um, and then on social media, you got people threatening people online. You know, uh, it's, it's a felony now. Cyber harassment is a felony if you get what we call two or more uncontesting, uncontested contacts. Well, people say, what's an uncontested contact? I'll give you an example. If I say something bad about you, Tom, and it's not true, and my, my motivation is to simply harass you, and two or more people call you and say, Tom, is it true that you uh, have, are going around robbing people or uh, down on Seven Mile? Now, it might have been something that I posted to harass you, but if, if two or more people call you, that could be a felony. That's an uncontested or unconsenting contact. That's state law now. Mm. And here, here's another problem. Uh, what is, oh, revenge porn. You're in a relationship with someone, and, and then oh, they yeah. break up with you, and then you get mad and post nude photos of you and your ex online to get back at them. That will open uh, yourself up to a lawsuit. There's an attorney, Kyle Bristol. That's all he does. He will take you to civil court, and his last case, it was a case out of Novi, he won $600,000 judgment against a 23-year-old male because he posted a video of him and him and this young lady uh, having sex without her permission. And that happens every day. It does. And, and they asked Tom, the attorney, attorney Bristol, they asked him, they said, 
How are you going to get him to pay? He said, oh, we'll garnish his wages and we'll take his income tax returns every year till that 600000 is paid off. And that's a lifetime judgment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Brian. 23. Yeah. You know, that's Brian, a lot I, of money. Brian, I have to take another break here. Do you need to go or can you stick around and we can wrap oh, it up a little good. bit? All right. We are good. My guest is uh, Detective Brian Fountain from the Detroit Police Department, and uh, co-hosting with me is uh, Pam Gerald from Oakland County. We're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze in here for a moment, and uh, if you're streaming us, we're going to take a break hey, as well. Hey, this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them, in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to wrap up my conversation. Uh, well, I have uh, a co-host with me uh, this hour from Oakland County, Pam Gerald, and our guest is uh, Detective Brian Fountain from the Detroit Police Department. And uh, welcome back, both of you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Um, Brian, just before the break, we were talking about uh, social media and uh and, and and a little bit parenthetically dumb criminals but um the the idea about social media makes me wonder there's so much misinformation out there and a lot of it is promulgated by by social media yeah. um but where can people go to you know learn more about some of the issues that we've been talking about what are some good resources where people maybe can take the effort to get to know the police a little better. You know, uh, we always talk yeah. about the police getting to know the community, but what about the community getting to know the police? Oh, there's a, quite a few things they can do. I can yeah. give you two or three right off the top of my head. Uh, uh, in a minute, we're going to start back uh, meeting up back at the precincts, the community relation meetings. Uh, they'll happen once a month, mm-hmm. and anybody... And our Metro Detroit can call whatever precinct that they're interested in going to and just ask the desk officer, hey, when are you going to have your next community policing meeting? And it's usually once a month in the middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, start around 5 or 6 o'clock. Uh, that's a good way to meet uh, the officers in the community. Another good way is PAL, uh, the Police Athletic uh, League. Uh, we have wonderful officers that work down at PAL, uh, they have a lot of programs going on. They have, uh, believe it or not, they have a drone class on Saturday. Because when you think of PAL, you think of sports. But they also have empowerment classes where they have uh, guest speakers come in uh, to mentor the young ladies. They have guest speakers to come in to mentor the young men. Uh, we already mentioned uh, the sports, you know, basketball, football, uh, baseball. So they have a lot of programs on the weekend for young people. And we still have, in every precinct, the Detroit Police Law Enforcement Explorers Program. This mm-hmm. is a program where young people can come into the precinct every week, once a week. And the, the programs are usually run by our neighborhood police officers. Uh, 
And what they do is they teach uh, officers, I mean, uh, young folks, uh, teach them what we do. You know, we take them on field trips. As a matter of fact, July 6th, I'm leaving to go up to Camp D-Bar-A up in uh, Metamore, Michigan. And we're going to take 40, 50, 60 teenagers with us. And we're going to go up there and we're going to do active shooter training. We're going to do traffic stops. We're Mm going to do mock crime scenes. Uh, We do all of that in the daytime. At night, uh, we have football for the boys, football for the girls. We're going to do painting with a twist. Uh, We're going to do jewelry making. And believe it or not, some of them boys sat down at that table and they made a lot of jury. <laughs> they gave it to the girls, but but they made a lot of jury. Yeah. Uh, we Good show for movies. Them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we, we're going to do an escape school. So we have a lot of fun stuff at night for the for the uh, teenagers. But in the daytime, we do all law enforcement stuff, and that's through the Law Enforcement Detroit Police Explorer Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if they if they want, they can just call the person and ask to speak to a neighborhood patrol officer. So it's those are four ways that the public can, can learn to interact with the police department. Well, Brian, I, I can't tell you how, how much I've enjoyed uh, meeting you and getting to know you a little bit, and you're welcome here anytime. I would love to have you back and we could talk some more because, uh, sadly, a lot of the things that we've been talking about um, aren't going away anytime soon. It's going to take a lot of work. I'd love to come back anytime. Just give me a call, or and I'd, I'd, I'd love to come back and uh, sit down and chat with you. That'd be great. Thank Bri- you, Detective Brian. Thank Bri- you, Mr. Go Thank ahead, you. Brian. Yes, uh, anytime you need me, just give me a call. Uh, uh, I teach 25 to 35 different classes with different topics, and, and I can uh, always make sure you get a list of the topics that uh, we, we teach. And mo- most of the classes are uh, for the public. Well, that'd be great. Um, Anyway, thanks again, Detective Brian Fountain from the Detroit Police Department. It's uh, been an honor and a privilege, and keep up the good work. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Tom? Yeah, Pam? Now, you know, last week when I was on your show, I got a lot of text messages. People want to know how they can support your show. Give me money. Can you say, well, can you tell the people what they can do and how they can help your show. Yeah, I can. Um, there, I have a Facebook page. I have one for the show, but I have one of my own. And, and you can just find me, Tom Sumner, on Facebook. And I, I actually have a uh, Facebook fundraiser going on right now. And uh, bless your heart for bringing it up. I appreciate that very much. Um, people can... Uh, participate in that online fundraiser or they can reach me through that to find out how they can support the show because I'm always looking for people to do underwriting or just or just make donations because it is it's totally funded by either uh, uh, a handful of businesses and organizations that uh, that advertise on the show but um, but also uh, people who uh, just just make donations to keep us uh, talking with great guests like the ones that you helped line up today, including uh, Detective Brian Fountain from the Detroit PD and earlier Southfield Police Chief uh, Alvin Barron, and, of course, Nancy Wang, the Executive Director from Voters Not Politicians. Right, and you know what, Tom? I just want to thank you for all that you have done. 
You know, a lot of people attempt to come on the radio and have a show, but they can't provide the listeners with consistent educational information or you or news that we can definitely use. And you have done that for so many years consistently. You've given a lot of people an opportunity to come on and discuss issues that matter to them and to talk about what their platform is and what they do in the community to help. So I'm going to give you a round of applause, but you <laughs> also deserve that because you have been that voice for the people in the United States and on uh, the Internet. So thank you for that. Well, and, and thank you for those kind words, Pamela. And, and I really appreciate the fact that uh, whenever you and I get together, and, and you have many times uh, over the years, um, you always connect me up with some very good and interesting guests. Like to like today, for example, and I, I appreciate you taking that kind of uh, interest and and getting involved in that way, um, and uh, I, I guess with that I'll just I'll, I'll just say thank you to uh, Pam Gerald, my my favorite Oakland County activist. And your Oakland County activists will always be here for the show, and you know that I'm just a phone call away, and it's nothing I wouldn't do for my great friend Tom Sumner. Also, I might uh, I, I might share with people since you brought it up that um, the uh, the show um, is is really based not so much on news, but digging down behind the news. You know, getting right. more of the story behind the news getting a chance to talk with people, not just for a minute or two when some big thing happens, but to really explore things. And I, I've, I really feel honored because I've had some really great people on the show. And, um, and I, I'm going into my 14th year of doing it. And like Brian said earlier, uh, you know, I, I try not to, you know, I don't, I don't miss days. I'm, I'm happy to be here doing it. And 14 years consistently on the radio with great content. That's what people really need to pay attention to. 14 years consistently with great content on the radio is amazing, and especially in today's radio media uh, market. That's very good, Tom. And, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of it for those 14 years. Well, I, I appreciate it, and, and thanks again. Pam, and we'll talk again real soon. All right, and I love you. Have a safe and wonderful holiday. And real quickly, I wanted to remind people that May the 31st is the 100th year uh, of the Black Holocaust that occurred in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. So it's 100 years coming up on Memorial Monday. And and that's uh, and that's a story that hasn't been told enough, and it's good that it's coming out in honor of this centennial. And I'm going to have to get you some people on the show to talk about it. I love right. you, Tom. Happy holiday. Take care. Mm -hmm. Bye bye. Once again, thanks to all the guests that were on the show, and a big special thank you to Pam Gerald for helping to uh, connect me with some of these people, and for sitting in to co-host a little bit. That was. Uh, that was fun. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program.
program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.